chapter 12 through verse 17. Here we find that Jesus has gone through a movement in his ministry and his ministry is growing, it's advancing. Signs, miracles, and wonders have been happening. His influence and the crowd are, are, are growing exponentially and much attention has now shifted to Jesus. And the Pharisees are extremely upset. They're greatly distraught that they're now convincing, he is convincing Jews that he is the Messiah. Due to his many miracles, signs, and wonders he's conducting, they're acknowledging that no one could do these things save he be from God, save he be deity and the promised Messiah that they have been awaiting for and praying for their entire lives. His influence is growing and conversions are happening. And there's much distress within the, uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees and amongst the clergy of the church. But John chapter 12, we find Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. Judas has also uh, cited in this chapter, Judas Iscariot, uh, as uh, Martha began to, Mary and Martha, as they had Jesus over for dinner, she began to worship him and broke a vial of expensive perfume and began to uh, place upon Jesus and worship uh, the Lord as Messiah. Lazarus is raised from the dead. And now we find Jesus is heading back into town of Jerusalem in John 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead before witness, for this reason the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that they are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. I continued reading through verse 19, so I apologize, but I wanted you to get a correct snapshot and the context of our story today. Again, the, the Pharisees are very distraught, and they're talking amongst themselves that you see that they're accomplishing nothing, but look, the world has gone to him. They're seeing that people are looking unto Jesus, looking him and believing of him as the Messiah. This word Hosanna is very significant as they began to wave their palm branches before the Lord. And that was also a sign of peace. But Hosanna means Lord save us. And our text in the New King James Version says Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna this outcry Lord save us 
As they cried out, Hosanna, every time. It's the same in our language as a derivative. The definition is, Lord, save us. Calling upon the Messiah to be Redeemer and King. You see, the tide has turned. It has shifted. And Jesus' influence upon the, the Jews as the Messiah is increasing. And Jews are now believing. And, and they're understanding that He is the long-awaited Messiah. While we celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, we also understand that this was prophecy being fulfilled. As soon and very soon, they will crucify Jesus. And actually, with just within a few days. Number one, I want us to note as we begin today, God always has a plan. Even with Jesus and on this Palm Sunday, God had a plan. With our lives here today, Yes, even wrestling with COVID-19, God has a plan. In your personal life, God has a plan. You're not forgotten. You're not lost. Yet He's not forsaken you. He hasn't forgotten about you. God has a plan. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Lord, come save us. God always has a plan. We understand that in the plan of Jesus for his life, it was so that God could execute his plan of redemption for all of humankind. Without the shedding of blood, Hebrews tells us that there is no remission of sin. You see, because Satan will attempt to destroy the work of God on earth, for there will always be a war for your soul and for mine. We'll always, until we reach heaven, this battle and this tension, this war, this fighting within of our access to God and the fighting for your redemption and mine will always be cont- contested until, they, until we reach heaven. It's because Satan that there will always be a personal war for your personal salvation. After Adam sinned and he partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... Prior to that, man knew nothing but loving God, walking with God in the cool of the day. Perfect peace and perfect provision in the garden was all that existed until sin entered in. Sin brought separation between God and man. And, but despite Adam falling from grace and messing things up for all of us, God still had a plan for redemption. In fact, many theologians believe that it was always God's plan to send His only begotten Son as the Redeemer. While, why else did God only have one Son when He could have had a host or an, an immeasurable or innumerable number of sons? He knew in His sovereignty that man would fall so that there must be a plan for the restoration of man. I want you to be reminded today that God always has a plan. Whatever you're up against, whatever you're facing, God always has a plan. And His plan is to bring you and I closer to Him. It's so that we can see His glory and His power and splendor, love and compassion, grace, mercy and forgiveness and provision. He wants us to know fresh again that God loves us and that He wants to renew us, that He wants to have a closer relationship with you and I. Second of all, not only does God always have a plan, God always has a purpose. There, is a, there was a reason Jesus entered in on a donkey here in our text in John chapter 12. There was a reason he was born and laid in a manger. There was a reason he was both loved and rejected because his life and his journey provides the tapestry of the life of humanity, creation, 
and of you and I. You and I are all born naked and, and, and we will return naked. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We came in this world with nothing and we will not be able to take anything with us except the hope of salvation and the promise of eternal life or eternal damnation. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary but has already returned to the right hand of God, for, seated at the right hand of God forever making intercession for you and I. He accomplished his mission and fulfilled every prophecy in Scripture that pertained to the work of God. On this day when his ministry, this day, John chapter 12, on that day when his ministry is at an all-time high, he doesn't ride into Jerusalem in a Mercedes-Benz. He's not riding in with a BMW or a, or, a, or a fancy car or a Bentley or Rolls Royce or even a white stallion. But no, rather, he's fulfilling Scripture and is always mindful that heaven was his home. Earth was his assignment. There he comes in and he's riding into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey. He could have had any provision that resources could have provided. Surely there were enough people of means against the throngs of thousands that were following Jesus of this day. But in order to fulfill Scripture, he rode upon a donkey with humility because he understood that there was nothing on earth that could ever eclipse the glory and the power and the weightiness of the presence of his Father. His mission was not to be successful on earth. His mission was to be successful in heaven and do the will of the Father. I want to encourage you and remind you today that all of us would be much more better suited and better off if we would fix our minds on heaven and heaven, heavenly things and the will and the work of God. It's not the pursuits of man. It's not being wealthy. It's not having the success in earthen means that's most important. Folks, if you miss heaven, you've missed it all. There's nothing that compares to the glory and the promise of eternal life with him. I would rather have him and be a pauper in this life than to have all the wealth and riches of earth and face eternity and not know him as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm glad today that I'm saved and my name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Aren't you glad you're on your way to heaven? That's all right. Let's give the Lord praise right there. That's okay. There's always a purpose in what we go through. There's a personal purpose for each of us. There's a per personal purpose from God to you. And not only what you're going through, but what you're gifted with. And your callings and your assignment. Jesus had a personal purpose. As God reached out over heaven and says, I, I need someone to go and be willing to be the sacrificial lamb. To redeem fallen man so that I can be restored unto him. Sin has entered the heart of man. And now there's a curse upon him and the land. And death will be ensued. I need someone to go and be that propitiation for their faith. I need a kinsman redeemer. I need someone to stand in the gap. I need a sacrifice sacrificial lamb so that I can restore them unto me. And Jesus said, Father, I will go. It was a personal purpose. It was a personal calling. It was a personal choice. And Jesus willingly elected and obeyed the will of God for his life. I want to encourage you that even for you and I today, there is a personal purpose that God has you here on this earth. If you're still living and breathing, God's not done with you yet. I said, if you're living and breathing, God's not finished with you yet. God still has a purpose for your life. 
Let him work out that purpose. You're gifted. You're called. You've been given special attributes and and characteristics for a reason. It's to glorify God in all that you can say and do and how he's equipped you to do. Romans 12 and 3 says, For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. There is a God-given plan for your life. Your life is more than just making a living. It's more than just making money. It's more than just being happy. It's more than just being successful. Yes, God wants those things for you and I. But folks, that's not your purpose. Our purpose is to have dominion on this earth and to build the kingdom of God. To be fruitful and multiply and advance the kingdom of God. And it's also confined and defined in Matthew 28, 19. To go ye therefore into all the world, making disciples of all nations. You have a greater purpose than what many of us are living for. And that is to fulfill the call of God upon our lives. I'd like to suggest to you that the problem with people that are struggling with their sense of purpose or their sense of calling is not necessarily a lack of wisdom, but rather it's often, uh, very often, a lack of submission to God the Father. You see, when you tell God, I, I will do whatever it is you want me to do, and that submission of your heart comes into play, you will begin to see Father God exposed to you and reveal to you things of your, of your upbringing, your past, and your present that's preparing you for your future. And you'll begin to see the plan of God's been working in your life long before the moment when you, when you submitted to Him, long before you finally decided to give in. God has a plan, and God has a purpose for your life. That Jesus was never recorded in Scripture as to having this issue. Jesus always knew his purpose. He always knew there was a plan. And he knew his role in the plan. He repeatedly throughout his ministry stated that everything that he did was to bring glory unto the Father. To please the heart, the mind, and the will of the Father. Folks, we can begin right there. If you're struggling to find your purpose in life, start right there. Find the way to give God glory in your life. That all that you do, give glory unto the Father. Give glory unto the Lord for that. He stated that everything he does is to bring God the glory. The closest thing that Jesus uh, had of knowing, of feeling the tension that you and I feel regarding fulfilling the purposes of God in our lives was when he was in the garden. And in just a few days after our text, actually, and after much prayer, the word says that his sweat became as drops of blood. Yes, the capillaries there in his body became so uh, so dehydrated and, and so expressed uh, and so leaned upon and pressed uh, that his sweat actually became as drops of blood. And fa- he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. It's important to note and not just quickly scan over that, That Jesus wasn't asking to not go to the cross. Jesus was asking for his his humanly body, his human vessel, to be relieved of the pain and suffering. It wasn't the mission of the cross that he was trying to abort in that moment. He said, Father, let this cup, meaning let this vessel, 
Let this body that I live in, let this human form of my deity pass from me. But God, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The cup would pass. However, it would go through much more abuse in human form because there was more purpose in the destiny. Everyone that fulfills their personal plan of God upon their life will only do it through personal pain. I know, I, I know, in this modern day of prosperity gospel and feel-good gospel and, and just got to have life easy. And, and if you're living a true life of faith, you'll never know a problem. You'll never know a struggle. You'll never know a trouble if you're really reeling right. Well, first, they don't read the same Bible that I read. They've not studied the same Jesus and the life of Christ that I've studied. For actually, Scripture teaches against that, and that gospel is a false gospel. It, it is a, and who speaks it would be a false prophet. It's a false teaching because there will be a personal pain. This way of the cross will have to cost you something. Folks, that's a Philippians 3 and 10 says that, that I may know him, this is Paul, to the church in Philippi, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Folks, you will never know the power of resurrection until you're willing to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. You'll never know how to get up again. That's how we learn to dust ourselves off and get up and try again, to believe again. It's how we learn, Brother David, to forgive ourselves. It's Sue, it's how we pick up our bootstraps and just go again, try another day. It's how we make it. It's because we know the power of resurrection does abound. But how I learn how to harness and access the power of God is in my falling and my uprising. It's in the suffering. It's in the times where my flesh has to die and the spirit has to conquer it's when i have to say yes lord and say no to me how i would do it how i feel about it and say nevertheless lord not my will but thy will be done there's always going to be a personal pain in your story jesus says take up your cross and follow me he doesn't say take up your hilton take up your luxury vehicle or take up your worldly worldly possessions in fact he said, sell all of your possessions. Don't even bring a pillow, for you might lay your head upon a stone. But whatever you need, I will provide along the journey. There will always be a personal pain. You might be suffering today. Maybe you're battling a sickness. Can I just remind you and encourage you that although we, we, we unfortunately, through our humanity and our human walk, we will fall prey to those kind of things because the earth is under a curse. Because sin has entered in the heart of man. But can I tell you there's a provision for that? And there is, there is a pain, but there is also a promise. There will always be a personal pain. James 1 says, this life is but a vapor. I'm thankful that pain only has to last for a season. It don't have to last forever. Amen? There is glory and there's power in His resurrection. Everybody has a story to tell. Every life is similar in the fact that we all have a struggle. We all have a cross to bear. We all, why? Because we all must conquer the, our own enemies of our soul. And that greatest enemy is sin. When I talk about pain, I'm speaking of the breaking of the will. A pain. A breaking of the will. A breaking of the mind. The greatest crucible of life is whether or not someone knows, knows what's going on when they go through it.
I've gone through personal trauma, great pain in my personal life. Most of it was my fault. Some of it was their fault. But all of it was painful. See, it's in the pain that he teaches us that it's not always about us. In fact, you cannot learn that when times are great. You see, you will learn your confidence in God when after you've gone through some personal pain and you find yourself at wit's end and you have to lift your chin up to even see the dirt. When you go through that personal pain, you'll find that the arms and the grace and the mercy of God has been running after you and chasing after you and trying to captivate your mind and your heart. So don't resist the trouble and the struggle. That's where God will find you and that's where you will find God and you will see that he's been your alpha and your omega he's been your beginning and he's still writing the story of your ending god is everywhere in between he is your all in all don't despise him in days of trouble but be encouraged when struggle and trouble comes my way that's when i know god is near i have no reason or need to fear i know that thou art with me even in the times and seasons of trouble amen and amen You see, it's in in times when we get lifted up and things are great. We begin to think it's because you are great. Or we are great. Or I am great. We begin to think that I'm wise. We begin to think that you begin to think that you're intelligent. You begin to think that it's your capability. You begin to think it's because of your strength, wisdom, experience, and expertise. You begin to think that it's your goodness. You begin to think that it's your enablement. You begin to think it's your independence. And when we we begin to think that we're self-made, we begin to create our own crash course with pain. For Psalms 100 and verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and we are the sheep of, of His pasture. The reason you'll encounter pain is because your enemy is trying everything he can to keep you from your personal promise. That's why he'll put you through personal pain. He'll cause you to question God's personal plan, God's personal promise. Because he'll use pain to get you to give up on your promise. God always has a promise. Jesus, the only begotten of the Father, had a promise. That Father needed someone to leave all of heaven To restore you and I and redeem fallen man. Someone had to become that propitiation and the sacrifice for us all. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin in Hebrews 10 and 18. God has a promise of blessing over your life too. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a promise and he has a promotion. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says this. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. To bless you, to give you a hope. And a future and not to harm you. You realize that the promises of God are yea and amen. The promises of God are yea and amen. Roman tells us, if thou shalt confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. That's a promise. He also tells us in his word, by my stripes you are healed. He's paid all the price for my healing. When we've been sealed, he also promises of God tells us that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Do you realize that there are 3,573 promises in Scripture? Folks, that's a lot more than one a day. 3,573 promises within Scripture. We have a promise of hope and of heaven. 
when this life that is but a vapor, as James says, is all over. We have eternal life as our reward. And trusting God through the plan, the purpose, the pain, and the promise, and the promotion. Let's talk about that concept just for a minute. Do you understand that you need to know the plan of God? You need to fulfill the purpose of God? You need to be reminded and walk in the promises of God? Because, folks, there is a promotion. There is a promotion coming. Do you realize that soon and very soon there's a trumpet going to sound? And it's going to blast and it's going to shake all of earth and, and all who are redeemed are going to be caught up in the air. Those who are dead in Christ shall rise first. Those who are left and remain shall be caught up after to meet them with the Lord and to forever abide with Him in the presence of God. Do you realize that the rapture, I know we don't hear much about it in church, but folks, the rapture is soon at hand. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the church is going to be caught up and called away. I've got a promotion in mind. I've got, I've got heaven in mind. Promotion comes from God, not man. You need to know this. Whether er, both earthly and spiritually, promotion comes from God, doesn't come from man. I've seen many people in my lifetime attempt to achieve their ideas and ideals of success through human efforts. But godly promotion never works that way. His favor doesn't always seem fair to people who operate in a linear mindset. But can I tell you, if you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength, favor will chase you down. It will come find you. You will receive blessings you didn't even ask for. You will receive favor. You'll have friendships, blessings, provision, miracles, signs, wonders will happen in your life. And you'll just walk in favor. And things you didn't even request of God, they'll begin to happen. And overflow will happen in your life. When you understand that promotion comes from knowing the plan and fulfilling the plan and walking in the promises of God. His favor again doesn't seem fair to people who think literally. But to those who know how he works, we walk in a level of favor that others will never see. God has big plans for you. Not only blessings but a plan and a purpose. A pain and a promise. But it all serves to get you and I to the promotion that you will never deserve Deserve without it, and it's called eternal life. Jesus knew he had a plan. Jesus knew he had a purpose on earth. Jesus knew he would face pain. Jesus also knew that he would walk in the promise of God. And he also knew that there would be a promotion. For Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and life more abundant. It's more than what we see in a linear fashion. That means blessings here and blessings there. That means a quality of life here and a quality of life in eternity. Folks, don't get consumed with what this life looks like because as great as it is or as bad as it is, it's not going to last much longer. We are in the end of days. Absolutely we are. 